Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Dead America. Low Country, Part 2. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by Aaron Smith. Chapter 1. Day Zero Plus One. Dante, go! Grace screamed and watched as he throat-punched the guard next to him. Her heart leapt into her mouth as he grabbed Bailey and leapt over the side of the bridge. Moments later, there was a loud splash and her heart skipped a beat. Please make it. Please be alive, she thought, closing her eyes. The rest of the men on the bridge were stunned into silence. The only sound amongst the group was the struck guard who leaned over, gasping for air. Mosley barked a laugh, heading to the edge of the bridge and looking down at the water a good fifty feet below. Well, holy fucking shit, he drawled. I had no idea that messed up looking dude had that in him. He turned back to his prisoners, Grace and Troy, as the mercenaries cuffed their wrists in front of them. Your man there is quite the daredevil, sweetheart. It's a shame he's a pussy, leaving you and big fella up here all alone. Don't worry, she replied, forcing her voice to stay steady. He'll be back. Mosley shook his head, chuckling to himself. Sweetheart, this ain't the movies, he said, spreading his arms for effect. Your man isn't going to find a shiny set of armor out there and come riding in on a fucking white horse to save the day. No, if he's smart, he'll forget all about you and move on, find himself another woman, and get as far away from here as possible. He's not my man, she snapped, jutting out her chin. He's my brother, Mosley grinned. Well, hell, we're in the deep south, he drawled. Could be both. Despite the situation, Grace found it impossible not to roll her eyes. Oh, not a fan of my humor, huh? he asked, clucking his tongue. Well, no matter. If you didn't find that funny, you sure as shit not going to find what happens next funny. He pulled out a walkie-talkie, raising it to his lips. Valentine, it's Mosley. I'm on the bridge and have a couple more volunteers for the meat grinder. Where you want them? There was no response, and he growled. Well, hell, Valentine. Didn't realize it was break time already. Guess what, boys? We're taking five. In case you haven't noticed, a forceful but calm voice drawled through the speaker. There's a lot going on today, and quite frankly, you're not at the top of my priority list. So unless you want to volunteer yourself for the meat grinder, I suggest you remember that. Mosley sighed, his swagger dropping a notch. I hear you, he replied into the walkie-talkie. Now where do you want these volunteers at? 
They are just eager little beavers to get into the fight. Take them to the main resort at the northwest corner of the island, Valentine replied. It's about two miles north of the main road once you clear the bridge. There's a lot of activity in the area, so it'll be easy to spot when you get close. Mosley nodded. They're on the way. The line clicked, and he wrinkled his nose as he pocketed the radio. Well, looks like you two get to live the resort life. At least for an afternoon. Get them loaded up. Two of the guards escorted the prisoners over to a van and shoved them roughly inside. As they left, Mosley approached No Name, who looked after the duo with his brow furrowed. Quit your pouting, the former quipped. It doesn't suit you at all, you no-named bastard. The tall, bold man crossed his arms. Not sure I'm a fan of this. Bullshit, Mosley spat. I know for a fact you've done far worse than this in your life. No name glared down at him, his biceps bulging as he flexed his arms. You don't know a damn thing about what I've done, he said. Mosley just chuckled, smacking him on the back and sauntering off to the firing line. No Name watched the van drive away, uneasy in the pit of his stomach. Chapter 2 The van sped along the highway, leading towards the main part of the island. Hilton Head was a popular destination for the wealthy elite to visit throughout the year, with a fluctuation population of 40,000 or so. This time of year, however, the number of residents was significantly less outside of the resorts, at least. With the weather cooling in the northern parts of the country, the weather in the low country was still warm and humid. Perfect for the city dwellers to get away and be pampered by underpaid staff. Grace could only hope that most of the vacationers had been planning to visit later in the year, seeing as how they were about to fight those that had chosen to come down early. Not wanting to sound like Captain Obvious here, Troy drawled but we're in some trouble here. She glanced to the front of the van where a metal partition separated the back from the cab. There was a small grate at the top in the centre, so that the driver could look back, but it didn't seem as if anyone was listening in on them. Gee, you think? She said, rolling her eyes. Whatever gave you that idea? I'm serious, he hissed. Mercenaries are executing civilians in broad daylight and kidnapping others to do God only knows what. Whatever is happening out there just isn't happening here. This shit has got to be national, or more likely global. These boys wouldn't risk this unless they know there aren't going to be any repercussions. Grace pursed her lips, contemplating his words, but realized he was right. QXR Group was known for committing war crimes overseas in war zones, this being the whole reason she'd protested their offices in the past. But for them to do this on American soil... That was a risky move, even for them. At least in normal times. If they were doing this, then it was sure they could get away with it. From what I understand, she said quietly, your boy Theo Atkinson and his QXR group receives military briefings. If what you say is right, and they know the world is fucked, there's no telling what they might do. Troy nodded like a bobblehead. Question is, he continued, what do we do? She took a deep breath. We bide our time, she said. I was kind of hoping for something more substantial than just sitting around and waiting, he said dryly. She shook her head. Didn't say sit around and wait, she replied. I said bide our time. 
Dante is out there, and he's going to come get us. We just have to do everything we can to stay alive and wait for him. Why in the world do you think he's coming for us? Troy asked, blinking at her incredulously. Assuming he survived the fall and got somewhere safe, which is a big if, why would he risk it? Grace crossed her arms. Because he's already given so much of himself to protect me, she replied. He's not going to let anything happen to me now. He paused, contemplating. His... his face? he asked quietly. She nodded, avoiding his gaze. It was about fifteen years ago, she began. I was home with my parents when the fire broke out. It was the middle of the night and I don't even know what happened. Just woke up and there was smoke in my room. I tried to get out, but the flames were right outside my door. She held up a hand, showing the burn marks on her palm. The pain woke me up fully, but the smoke was just too much. I ended up collapsing while trying to get my bedroom window open. A few moments later, I heard someone crashing through my door. It was Dante. He got me outside, but he paid a big price for it. Troy swallowed hard. And your parents? he asked. Didn't make it. Grace replied hoarsely, shaking her head. He tried, but their room was blocked off by the fire. He took me in after that, did everything he could to take care of me. Even though I'm twenty-eight and fully capable of taking care of myself, he's still always there for me. He nodded. Good to have people out there to watch your back, he said quietly. Especially someone as determined as my brother, she added. The van started to slow down and the sounds of gunfire cracked outside. The passenger in the front seat turned around, banging on the back wall. "'Hope you two are ready to fight,' he called. Grace leaned in, whispering into Troy's ear. "'Remember, we stay alive and bide our time, no matter what.' He nodded in response as the vehicle came to a halt. A few moments later the back doors opened, two mercenaries standing there and waving them forward. "'Come on, let's move!' one of them demanded. Grace and Troy climbed out of the back stepping down onto the parking lot of the gigantic all-inclusive resort. The main hotel was large, eight stories tall, and stretching for a couple hundred yards. There were a few dozen cars in the parking lot which had been moved to the outer edge of the lot to act as a makeshift barricade. However, it only covered about half of the lot edge. A handful of mercenaries had set up along the line, occasionally firing off a few shots into the distance. In the centre portion of the lot were a trio of black pickup trucks, set a few yards apart, with a tent to the right. "'Wait here,' the mercenary said, and walked towards the line of civilians standing outside of the tent. It was about a dozen deep with a middle-aged white woman at the front with dyed hair wearing expensive clothes. As she reached the entrance to the tent, one of the mercenaries patted her down, and she jerked her arm away as they touched it. She tried to pull away, but he took a fistful of her shirt, ripping the sleeve away. Her arm beneath was bandaged, but blood seeped through the fabric. She screamed as two other mercenaries gripped her body, dragging her off to the side. About twenty yards away, they held her in front of a dumpster, and her screams turned to unintelligible pleading sobs. Unfazed, one of the mercenaries pulled out a handgun and shot her in the head. Some of the people in the lineup screamed some already sobbing as the mercenaries lifted the now-dead woman and tossed her body in the dumpster. "'Looks like they know the bites are deadly, too,' Troy murmured. Grace swallowed hard. "'And really not taking any chances, either.' 
The mercenary that had told them to stay blew out a sharp whistle, motioning for them to come over. Let's move, their guard snapped, and gave Troy a shove to get them headed towards the tent. No need to shove, asshole, he muttered. Just tell me where to go. The mercenary raised his hand to shove him again, but stopped at the glare coming from his prisoner. Just keep moving, he snapped. Head to the lobby. Grace and Troy walked into the building, entering the marble-floored lobby. There was a small coffee shop in the corner, a piano in the corner tinkling out an automatic tune, and a long stretch of sofas and recliners along the far wall, which was floor-to-ceiling glass overlooking the water. The mercenary looked around, spotting someone waving them in next to a group of five civilians sitting on the floor. He led Grace and Troy over, and pointed to the floor, where they sat next to the five males nervously perched there. A mercenary headed out of a back room carrying a cardboard box, and walked into the centre of the group, dropping the box on the floor. There was a metallic clinking as it settled, and then the man gave it a kick, sending it toppling over onto its side. Heavy-duty cutlery skittered across the floor, and he glared at the silent and still civilians beneath him. "'I suggest you find a weapon in there you feel comfortable using,' he demanded. "'Because in two minutes you're being marched up to the third-floor conference room to clear it out.' An older gentleman dressed in a high-end bright green golfing ensemble got to his feet, pointing a finger at their captor. "'I don't know who the fuck you think you are, coming in here and barking out orders.' he snarled. But we're not playing your little game. The mercenary stared at him for a moment, blinking with almost an impressed look on his face. Is that a fact now? he finally asked. Oh, you bet it is, the golfer replied, squaring his shoulders. I may not know what's going on, but I know I'm not taking orders from some lowlife like you. In fact, I think. His tirade cut short as the mercenary shot him in the head dropping his body to the ground. He turned to the rest of the wide-eyed group, waving the weapon around and raising his voice. "'Let me be very fucking clear with all of you,' he declared loudly. "'In one minute and fifteen seconds, you are going to be marching up to the third floor to clear out a room full of whatever those things are. If you don't want a weapon, that's your business. But you will be marching, or else you'll end up like your friend there. Now,' If you want to take the easy way out, it's no skin off my back, because I have a bullet for each of you. He wiggled the gun in the air. So make your decision. The group sat for several seconds in shocked silence. Finally, Grace got up and walked over to the box, picking through a few of the chef's grey cutlery before deciding on a meat cleaver. She picked it up and gave it a few practice swings before turning to Troy, who was still sitting on the ground. "'What the hell are you waiting on?' she snapped. "'Get off your ass and grab something.' As if snapping out of a trance, he nodded jerkily and scrambled over, grabbing a large butcher knife. He stood next to her and gave her a nod. Grace looked around at the rest of the group, all of whom were dressed in fancy clothes, clearly staying at the hotel rather than working there. "'Well, what are the rest of you waiting on?' she demanded. "'An invitation? Get to your feet and grab something now!' They scrambled to their feet, faces pale and scared, and picked up weapons, holding them nervously. She wondered if any of them had ever even held a kitchen utensil in their life. The mercenary who'd given them their pep talk let out a whistle, 
and then pointed at Grace when she looked at him, motioning for her to come over. Yeah, come here a second, he said. She squared her shoulders and approached him, careful to let her cleaver hand hang next to her side to make sure he didn't get trigger-happy thinking she was going to use it. What's your name, girl? he asked. She gritted her teeth but replied calmly. Grace. Grace, huh? he nodded. Okay, I'm Dodson. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you aren't one of these pampered fucks who still thinks they're on holiday, he said, motioning to the rest of the group. Quite the intuition there, Dodson, she snapped, before she could stop herself, tone laced with mocking. He smirked. Forceful and has balls. I can work with that, he said, pointing at her. You're going to be my go-to person on this. My day is now complete, she replied dryly. Not yet it isn't, he said brightly, and pulled out a military-grade switchblade. He hit the button and the six-inch blade rocketed straight up. He held it in front of her face. This blade is no joke, he said. Little work and you can cut through bone. He flicked the knife closed and handed it to her. Just to show you I'm serious about you being my go-to person. I'm giving this to you. There's bound to be close encounters up there, so this might help. She flicked it open, inspecting the blade and then closed it, shoving it into her pocket. Thanks, she muttered, and then turned on her heel, heading back to Troy. Dodson smirked at her back, checking out her bottom half, and then let out another whistle. All right, listen up, he bellowed. This is Grace, and she's the only one of you that's shown any initiative and, frankly, any willingness to live through the next half hour. I strongly suggest you listen to her and follow her lead. Everyone turned to her, but she didn't look anyone in the eye, unfazed by the praise. Third floor, let's move, Dodson continued, motioning to a stairwell door about twenty yards away. Cortez, you're with me. The rest of you, stay back and wait for more volunteers. Volunteers, my ass, Grace thought bitterly as she followed Dodson to the stairs and up towards the third floor. Another tall and muscular mercenary, who must be Cortez, followed, bringing up the rear. Nobody spoke as they marched up the stairs, the only noise footfalls echoing on concrete, muffled gunshots coming from outside. They reached the door on the third floor and Dodson held up a hand, pulling out a keycard. He handed it to Grace. Your main target is the conference room at the centre of the hallway, he said. However, my men have identified room 312 as an infected room. I would suggest you tackle that one first so you get a good sense of what you're up against. She took the keycard, still emotionless as she wrapped her hand around the door lock bar. He reached out and held it shut, stopping her. And one more thing, he drawled. We're on a tight timetable here, so you have twenty minutes to get this done. If you don't, then Cortez and I are going to use you as human shields to keep them occupied while we take them out. He winked at her glare. Happy hunting. He backed up and waved them in a flourish. Grace opened the door and led the group into the hallway, which looked surprisingly clean given the events of the morning. There was nothing between them and the conference room, with the exception of a single luggage cart with several bags scattered on the floor. She glanced up at the numbers on the closet door, reading 320. A few more doors down, she muttered. They reached the door and she turned to face the group. There was movement inside, clear bumping and moaning and shuffling emanating from the room. 
Okay, she said quietly, taking a deep breath. These things are fast and vicious. I think our best chance at taking this thing out is to... Who are you? she asked, pointing to a forty-something man in moderately decent shape to her left. Charles, he replied. She nodded. Okay, I want you and Troy here to go low and hold this thing in place while... You're being way too dramatic about this, one of the other men snapped, and snatched the keycard from her hand, swiping it on the door. He grabbed the door handle before anyone could stop him, and turned it, pushing it open. Let me show you how it's... His speech dissolved into screams as a small female zombie flew through the door, tackling him. It immediately latched onto his nose, biting down hard and pulling back, taking most of the skin and the tip of it clean off, chewing happily. Before it could go in for a second bite, Grace swung the cleaver, the sharp blade going through the skull like butter and dropping the ghoul. The man pressed frantically at his face, screaming in agony. Don't just stand there! he yelled as blood poured down his face. Help me! Get a towel! Charles moved towards the open door, but Grace put out a hand to stop him. One thing you have to realize about these things, she said, is that the bites are deadly. You get bitten, there's no coming back from it. Well, there is, she pointed to the dead zombie on the floor, but as one of them. Troy chewed his lip. So, what do you want to do with him? he asked. Do you want him chasing after us? she replied. He shook his head. Not particularly. Then you know what to do, she said, her eyes cold and emotionless. Troy nodded and looked down at the man on the floor. Sorry, man, he said, but we have to protect ourselves. The man held out his hands. No, no, I'll be fine. It's okay. Please. His pleading cut short as Troy took his butcher knife and went in for the kill. He plunged it into the man's forehead, ending his suffering, and stood up glancing at Grace, who had a fire in her eyes. He couldn't deny it terrified him a little to see this sweet girl flipping so quickly into survival mode. Now, are you rich fucks going to start taking this seriously? She snapped. Or do you want to end up like him? She pointed to the dead man, and the others nodded, unable to speak. Good. Now let's get to the conference room before those assholes use us as bait. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 3 Grace stopped the group just outside of the conference room. There was a lot of noise inside, and the double doors leading in had a makeshift barricade holding them shut, with heavy potted plants moved over to hold it. One of the doors was partially open, not more than a foot wide, 
It butted up against the giant potted plant, and Grace tried to shove it back against the door, but it wouldn't budge. I can see why they use these, she muttered. Sturdy. As soon as she finished talking, a couple of zombies smashed into the door, startling the group, and they all jumped back. A trio of arms jetted out from the opening, clawing frantically at the fresh meal, thankfully unable to fully make it through the gap. Grace turned back to the others and shrugged. I'm open to ideas. Yeah, I got one, one of the men drawled, raising his hand. Why don't we hide from these people? Or better yet, another added, try to escape? Troy shook his head. Man, you saw what they did to that dude in the lobby? he said. As soon as he started to act out, they just shot him in the face. What do you think is going to happen if we try to escape or they find us hiding? We gotta try something, the first man argued. Fine, Grace snapped, waving a flippant hand at him. If you want to run away or find a hiding spot, you have at it. We won't give you away. We also won't mourn you when they gun you down. She checked her watch. Now, we have sixteen minutes to clear this room or they're going to kill us. So, if you aren't in this fight, get the fuck out now, because I need to know what I have. The group all shared nervous looks, but nobody made a run for it or tried to hide. Okay, she said with a nod. Let's figure out how to get this done. She turned back towards the door, angling herself so she could see into the room. It was difficult to see anything, with the zombie arms flailing about, but she caught glimpses of the far wall. It's not much, but it looks like there's a decently sized buffet line on the other side, she mused. About four tables long. Still has most of the silver serving dishes on it. How much resistance? Troy asked. She shook her head. Not sure, she admitted. I count eight, not including the three by the door, so that's eleven, just on one side of the room. And we're armed with knives? One of the men scoffed. Yeah, this is going to go great. It will if we work together, Grace said firmly, and looked down the hallway. There was a rolling food trolley used to deliver room service parked outside one of the doors. She strode over and grabbed it, rolling it back to the door. Troy lifted the silver dome on top and peeked into the plate beneath. I ordered an omelette, he said snidly, not the Benedict. Grace rolled her eyes and then turned to the group. Okay, here's how we're doing this, she said firmly. She pointed to the two men to her left. One of you is going to brace the door, while the other pulls that giant potted plant away from it. Those things are putting up a hell of a fight, so it's not going to take long for that door to come open. I just need you to hold it long enough for this cart to fit through. Once it is, Troy and I are going to shove it through them so we can get into the room. Charles raised a tentative hand. Why not just block up the door and fight them off here? He asked. Wouldn't that be safer? Grace motioned to the door, at the still maniacal flailing arms. The zombie heads are a foot behind the door, and there are at least three of them, she said. If you want to reach in there to try to stab one, you be my guest. No, I mean, what if we open the door wider and use the cart to block them off? He replied, a little frustrated she wasn't getting his point while they were running down the clock. We would have easy access to their heads. She cocked her head back and forth. True, she admitted. But the noise would bring in the rest of the room. It would take everything we have just to hold the cart in place. 
and unless you want to hop on Troy's back, I doubt you'd be able to reach them. And already saying no to the back thing, Troy added, raising his hand. But that does beg the question. What are we doing if we somehow get inside? Grace jerked a thumb over her shoulder. The buffet line, she replied. It's close to the wall, so it's going to be close quarters. But we can use that to our advantage. I'll plow through to the other side and block off that side. But Troy, you're going to have to get creative to hold them off on the other side. He peeked through the crack in the door, focusing on the buffet. He focused in on one of the large silver-domed food-serving containers. I'm pretty sure I can use that serving dish to hold them off, he said. If I can get one of them hung up on it, it should work. One of the men shook his head, pressing his palms to his temples. So, great, he moaned. Instead of having a breakfast buffet, we become a meal? They're just going to jump over the tables and get us. Show of hands, Grace declared. Has anybody seen any of these things jump? When nobody moved, she shook her head. Me either. Not saying they can't, not saying they won't, but I haven't seen it, and with... She checked her watch again. With fourteen minutes to do this, I vote we assume that they can't and proceed. The man wrung his hands, looking uneasily at the knife handle in his fist. Troy reached over and put a hand on his shoulder. Hey, big guy. You need to get in the game here, he said, firm but not unkindly. Judging by your appearance, I'm assuming you've always looked down on the hired help. So, look at this as your long-awaited opportunity to finally reach out and hit them, instead of just making their lives a living hell by yelling at them. The man furrowed his brow, scowling at the insinuation. And he's back, Troy declared with a grin, patting him on the shoulder. Let's get this show on the road. He gave the guy a push towards the door, and then joined Grace behind the pushcart, which was just big enough for both of them to get a good grip on it. The two men set up by the door, one on the plant and the other wedging himself against the door. He leaned back to avoid getting caught by the still-flailing zombies. You ready? Grace asked. Troy nodded. As ready as I'm going to be, he replied. She glanced back at Charles, standing right behind her, and he nodded as well mouth set in a thin line. She turned back to the door. Do it, she said. The two men made eye contact, sharing their fear and determination. Grace lowered her knees into a stance, ready to spring and began to count. Three, two, one, she cried, and the man by the plant began to heave. It took a moment, but he managed to slide it by yanking as hard as he could, getting it out of the way, and then darted back beside Charles. As soon as the pressure on the door was relieved, the zombies pushed harder, and the man at the door struggled to keep it from opening. His feet began to slide on the carpet, and he quickly lost ground, straining, the door inching open more and more. When a zombie head managed to poke through the gap, he panicked, grabbing the knife from his belt and jabbing wildly. With the angle he was at, there wasn't enough force behind the blows, and the blade glanced off the side of the ghoul waiter's head. It cut deeply, but the wounds were superficial, not stopping the corpse in any way. After a couple of quick strikes, Grace barked. Stop stabbing at it, she waved wildly. We need these things on their feet so we can push through. The man nodded, his panic subsiding a bit, trusting her and her plan for the time being. He stuck the knife back in his belt and refocused on the door, pushing as hard as he could to keep it in place. The gap 
was now a foot wide. The zombies frantic now that they'd figured out there was fresh meat on the other side. Troy looked over their heads, spotting a few more rushing towards the door, attracted by the frantic, excited moaning of their brethren. We gotta go now, he cried. Open the door! Grace startled, but didn't question him. There was no time for it. She readied herself for the big push, tightening her grip on the handle. The doorman jumped back, allowing the door to open, and then ducking behind it as a shield from the ghouls who were incredibly interested in him. He didn't jump back far enough, however, and the heavy wood smacked hard into his face, stunning him. He snapped out of it, however, screaming as a zombie reached back behind the door and caught a hold of his arm. With the door clear, Troy and Grace ran at the opening, taking four large strides to build up a head of steam. They smacked into the trio of ghouls in the entryway, shoving them back into the room. They didn't stop to look around, instead pumping their legs towards the buffet line on the far edge of the wall. The room was fairly large with the makeshift barricade about thirty yards away. As they ran, a few corpses from the buffet tables turned and rushed at them. Keep pushing! Troy screamed, and Grace didn't need to be told twice. They raced forward, picking up speed and slamming into the ghouls. The two corpses tumbled to the ground and they turned the pushcart to the back side of the buffet line. They ran behind it, thankful that it was empty between the tables and the walls. Troy let go so that Grace could push it to the other side and block it off. He turned back to the rest of their team and saw they were having some issues. Move your fucking asses! he barked, cupping his hands around his mouth. Charles and his partner were about fifteen yards behind them, but struggled with a couple of zombies. One creature had the latter by the arm and he struggled to break free, swinging around and jerking his limb up and down. He finally remembered his knife and pulled it out, stabbing the zombie in the eye socket. Crimson goo splashed out onto his face, and he recoiled, but managed to disengage his arm from the corpse's death grip. Charles fought against another ghoul, what had once been a young waitress, and he thankfully had quite a bit of body weight on her. He pressed against her chest to keep her snapping jaws away from his face, and then spotted movement in his periphery. Swinging her around, he spotted more zombies rushing his way. Letting out a primal yell all the way from his bowels, he shoved the zombie back with all his might, sending it careening into the others and knocking them to the ground. Both men, finally free, they tore for the buffet line, rushing past Troy who stood guard on the one end with one of the giant serving dishes as a shield. They were heavy duty, weighing about ten pounds and stretching nearly a yard in length. As soon as the men were clear, Troy got into position, waiting for the ghouls to rush him, which didn't take long. Within seconds, four zombies crashed into him. He extended his arms as far as he could, while holding the container up. Rutted arms flailed everywhere, smacking into his body and uncomfortably close to his face but he steeled himself, managing to hold them at bay. Grace secured the cart by locking down the wheels, which were close to the back wall, before turning around to survey the room. There were about fifteen ghouls in total, all rushing towards the table. Charles and his partner had their knives ready, but they stood shoulder to shoulder, shaking with fear, the glittering blades quivering as the enemies got closer. Spread out, Grace yelled. We gotta thin them out. The two men took several steps away from each other, putting about five yards between them, and also her. She readied her cleaver before realizing they were missing a person. 
the man from the door. Where the hell is the other guy? she demanded. Everyone looked towards the door, which didn't have any zombies within ten yards of it. The man peeked his head into the hall, watching as the zombies reached the buffet line. His eyes were wide, and he didn't make any move to join the fight. One of the running zombies caught sight of him and immediately changed course, shrieking. He froze like a deer in the headlights, and when the zombie was within a few yards, he finally turned tail and ran away. The ghoul was fast, however, and within two steps it tackled him from behind, sending him face first into the floor. As soon as he hit the carpet, the corpse latched its teeth into his shoulder, tearing out a huge chunk. He screamed and thrashed about, reacting violently to the sudden injury. He bucked like a wild bronco, trying to shake the ghoul, but it was no use. The zombie chewed its foot before going in for another bite, this time on his arm. Adrenaline kicked in as pain shot through the man's body like electricity, and he managed to flip over. He faced his attacker, what had once been a teenage boy of no more than seventeen. He had a slight frame with bite marks on several parts of his torso, and chewed hungrily on the bit of biceps still in his putrid maw. The wounded man's head swam, pain and blood loss mingling in a heady mix as he stared up at the zombie in cold fear. He had trouble processing the moment, not able to wrap his brain around the fact that his life was very quickly coming to an end. When the zombie lunged back in for another bite, he lifted his arm to catch its mouth before it reached his face. On instinct, he reached down to his belt, pulling out the knife and stabbing up into the ghoul's face. The corpse went limp on top of him, twitching a bit, and he simply laid there, too weak to move. Back at the buffet line, the bulk of the zombies had reached the tables, slamming into them and pushing them back into the others. The three defenders planted their legs against the edges to keep the tables in place, the wood digging into their thighs. Grace raised her cleaver as two zombies reached over the serving dishes, and one knocked to the ground in a clatter. She buried it into the ghoul's head, but was unable to jerk it free before the corpse fell to the ground, taking the cleaver with it. She made a mad grab, but the other zombie lunged at her arm, and she pulled her hand back quickly. Now, weaponless, she looked around the table for something she could use to kill the ghouls with. She spotted a small plate filled with metal skewers, each about a foot long. She reached for one, but the zombies lunged for her arm. She smacked its hand away, jerking back to avoid its gnashing teeth. She took a deep breath and lashed out, managing to snatch one of the skewers and readied it for a strike. The ghoul toppled during another bite attempt, and as it thrashed back to its feet, she didn't waste the opportunity, jamming the skewer forward into its eye. The first one glanced off of the side of its face, and she screamed, jamming again, this time finding her mark. She kept a good grip of the skewer, yanking it back out before the zombie flopped down onto the floor. Grace looked over at her team, noting the seven ghouls between the other two, who were flailing wildly to try to take them out. The closer man continued to flinch as he tried to slash forward, but the three zombies grasping at him had him so spooked he could barely reach forward to do any damage. Not wanting to draw attention to herself, she ducked down and pushed the long tablecloth out of the way, crawling underneath the buffet tables. She peeked out of the front, making sure that the zombies were still focused on the man behind. She pulled herself out, grabbing her cleaver from the fallen ghoul, and wrenched it free of the skull, 
with a sickening slick noise. She moved slowly, staying on the ground and crawling to a nearby table that was about five yards away from the buffet line. She got up on one knee and peered over the table. The zombies were all engaged with the men, not paying her any attention. So she slowly stood up, gripping the cleaver tightly. She walked cautiously and quietly towards the line, staying just to the right of the creatures. When she reached striking distance, she lunged forward, swinging hard and catching the rightmost ghoul in the side of the head. The force of the blow sent the professional-grade cutting utensil right through the back half of the skull, clipping enough of the brain to drop the zombie. The falling corpse generated enough of a ruckus to alert the ghoul next to it, so she didn't hesitate, using the momentum from her swing to bring the cleaver around, embedding it into the face of the turning corpse. The third and final ghoul attacking the man broke away from him and darted towards her. In a panic, she dropped the weapon and shoved her hands out to grab it by the chest. The creature growled and snarled at her, and she struggled to hold it at bay. A second later, the man jumped over the table and jammed his knife into the side of its head, dropping it, his eyes wide in shock, as if he hadn't thought he was capable. He turned to Grace and gave her a nod. She responded in kind and then bent down to retrieve her cleaver. The duo turned to the four zombies that were focused on Charles. He'd managed to ding one of the creatures, and it lay face down on one of the tables, shaking from side to side as its brethren continued to ram into it to get at their meal. Grace and her partner took a few steps back before beginning their approach from behind. She took the one on the right, and he went for the middle. When they reached striking distance, she brought her cleaver down in a rough overhead strike, in a fruitful killing blow. He jammed his knife into the base of one ghoul's skull and grabbed the back of its shirt to slam it into the other one. He managed to use the weight of the dead zombie to pin down the other creature to the table. He held it in place as best he could, and Charles drove his knife into the back of the flailing creature's head. With the immediate threat gone, he stepped back with a huff, rubbing at his face. Um, are you okay, man? Grace's partner asked, motioning to the blood all over his hand. Charles looked confused for a second, and then looked at his palm eyes widening with panic at the blood coating it. He carefully inspected himself for a bite, but couldn't find one. He pulled a length of tablecloth from the buffet line and wiped his hand, finding nothing. He held up his hand and turned it this way and that to show he was clean. Must have been one of theirs, he said. Could you people give me a hand before taking a fucking smoke break? Troy bellowed, and the trio startled immediately leaping into action. Charles stayed behind the buffet line, rushing over and throwing his weight behind the serving dish to help hold the ghouls at bay. Grace and her partner rushed along the tables, staying close. As they came within a few yards of the edge, a couple of the ghouls in the back broke off and came around towards them. They readied themselves, extending a free arm to hold back chests and striking with the other. Grace nodded at her partner, once a reluctant man, now delivering kill strikes with no hesitation. Troy, faced with only one remaining zombie, was fed up. He let out a grunt before giving the serving tray a heave, sending the ghoul back onto the floor. As it tried to get back up, he raised the heavy metal platter up over his head and drove it down, cracking the corpse's skull. Unsatisfied, he brought it down a few more times, despite the zombie no longer moving. 
obliterating its head until there was nothing left but goo. He finally tossed the tray to the side, causing a racket as it clattered to the floor. The quartet stood silently for a moment, chests heaving, hearts hammering, each reflecting on how they'd survived the fight. Grace looked at her watch. Four minutes to spare, she said. I don't know about the rest of you, Troy declared, holding up a hand, but I vote we use every last second of our allotted time. I could use a breather. He massaged his arms, sore from having held the thrashing zombie at bay for so long. He headed over to a seat in front of a plate of now cold food, plonking down and putting his feet up on the table. I agree, Grace said, heading for the table. Not only do we need the rest, but we need to see just how strict these assholes are on timing. Chapter 4 Exactly four minutes later, Dodson and Cortez walked down the hallway towards the conference room. Rifles raised, they moved soundlessly down the carpet, ready to throw down at a moment's notice. They stepped over the bodies of one of the groups sprawled beneath a zombie from the room. Dodson cocked his head, noticing the stab wound as well as the missing nose, nodding in appreciation that they'd put him down after being bitten. They approached the conference room, spotting a zombified civilian pinned underneath a dead waiter. It flailed around, snarling at the sight of fresh food. Cortez didn't hesitate, aiming for a clean headshot and taking it to silence the noise. The duo stood fast, weapons raised at the door, in case anything was going to come barreling out to meet them. When nothing did, they nodded at each other and leapt forward, bursting into the conference room. They lowered their guns and relaxed as soon as they spotted the quartet sitting around a dining table. I have to admit, I'm impressed, Dodson drawled as they approached the table, waving his hand at the pile of corpses by the buffet line. Only two casualties in clearing out this room. She swallowed a big bite of blueberry muffin before replying dryly, Guess I owe you five bucks. You ought to be giving that money to us. Troy declared, linking his fingers across his chest, still lounging. Since we're doing your job for you, Cortez narrowed his eyes and opened his mouth to speak, but Dodson raised a hand to cut him off. Don't worry, he said. You keep doing work like this, and then Atkinson will certainly see fit to reward you. Troy shook his head. Yeah, with a bullet to the back of the head, he muttered under his breath. Dodson furrowed his brow not having heard the utterance, but assumed it wasn't favourable. He pulled out his walkie-talkie with a shrug, raising it to his lips. Need cleaners on three, he said. Conference room just down from the elevators. Copy that, somebody said on the other end. Cleaners? Huh? Troy piped up. Kind of surprised you aren't making us clean this mess up. Cortez sneered. Keep it up, and we just might, he snapped. Dodson raised his hand again, shooting his subordinate a pointed look. No, sir. You see, you are now a victim of your own success, he said, smiling at Troy. Now that we know you can deliver, you get to keep moving up the floors, clearing them one by one. We have a whole list of rooms, both small and large, that have unwanted occupants that need to be evicted. The group shared concerned, defeated looks. 
save for Grace, who simply continued eating her muffin. But I know that nobody can work non-stop, Dodson continued. So why don't you take five, help yourselves to whatever food you can find. You've earned it. Troy glanced at the plates on the table, wrinkling his nose at the blood splatter across them. He lowered his feet, poking at a miraculously blood-free omelette. It was cold and rubbery, and he grimaced. There goes their five-star review, he joked. The elevators along the far wall gave a cheerful ding, and they all turned to look as the doors slid open. Four people exited, each pushing a luggage cart. They were older, easily late fifties or early sixties, two men and two women. None of them appeared to be in terrible shape, but they moved slowly, clearly not up to be fighting. One of the women in the back took in the sight of corpses and burst into tears, prompting the man beside her to put an arm around her shoulders for comfort. The other two looked to Dodson for instructions, though they stayed stiff and nervous. One of you get the duo by the front entrance, he said, snapping his fingers. The rest of you get started on the buffet line. They started moving, albeit slowly, walking over to the corpses and loading them onto the luggage cart. Troy stared in open-mouthed horror. Jesus Christ, that's all kinds of fucked up, he breathed, watching the retirees lug dead bodies. Dodson strolled over to the table and grabbed one of the pre-packaged muffins that Grace had torn into, cracking open the plastic. He tore off a piece and popped it into his mouth. Admittedly, that's not my proudest moment, he said through blueberry dough. But if you are not going to be a part of the team, you've got to be useful. And if they're not? Charles asked. Troy snorted. Always a dumpster out back, he said dryly. Dodson smirked, taking another bite of his muffin. He looked around the table as Grace finished hers, noticing that nobody else was eating. Well, if none of you want breakfast, I guess we should make our way up to the fourth floor, he said with fake sympathy. Hope you are ready for a challenge, because there is a party ru A torrent of gunfire erupted from outside, and his brow furrowed. He and Cortez shared a concerned look, and the four civilians stiffened, unsure if the mercenaries being on edge was a good thing or not. That doesn't sound good, Cortez said. Dodson shook his head. We got some real badasses down there, he said, but his tone sounded like he was more trying to convince himself than his partner. They should be able to handle anything thrown at them. As soon as he finished speaking, his radio crackled to life. Fall back! Fall back! Somebody yelled in a panic. Get to the lobby! There was screaming before the walkie-talkie cut out, and the gunfire continued at an alarming pace. The two mercenaries rushed to the windows overlooking the parking lot of the hotel. The four civilians ran over as well, hearts pounding. The six of them stared out at a veritable war being waged below. Dozens of zombies flooded the area, rampaging throughout the lot. The processing tent had been abandoned, with the exception of a trio of zombies feasting on some poor soul. There were patches of ghouls scattered about, digging into still-living people who struggled to break free from their grasp. Four soldiers backpedaled towards the entrance, laying down suppressing fire towards the creatures racing towards them. They managed to put down most of them, with only four still running when they came within five yards. One of the soldiers stepped up using his rifle as a bludgeon to try to take them out at close range. He cracked one in the face successfully, 
but was quickly overwhelmed by the other three. The other soldiers fired into the mass as it consumed their comrade, but had to abandon their position as more zombies tore towards them at a dead sprint. More gunfire echoed through the building, and the six at the window turned around, almost able to trace the path through the floor. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, the gunfire came to a stop. They stood in silence for a moment, straining their ears, but there was nothing. Dodson pulled out his radio, hesitating with it to his mouth for a moment, tense and afraid of what the response would be. This is Dodson, he finally said. Does anybody copy? There was nothing, and the civilians looked at each other. There was obviously no love lost between them and the mercenaries, but being trapped in the hotel with a bunch of flesh-eating monsters was not exactly high on their priority list either. This is Dodson, he tried again. Does anybody copy? This is Stanton. The voice sounded frantic with heavy breathing. Dodson let out a sigh of relief and asked, What's your status? Situation is fucked down here, Stanton replied. We were completely overrun in the staging area. Dodson nodded. We're on the third floor, so we had a bird's eye view of the carnage, he replied. Are there any survivors out there, or are we it? Stanton asked, and the grimace was evident in his voice. Dodson turned back to the window, seeing nothing but zombies roaming around. They didn't seem attracted to any area, and he peered carefully to see if he could spot anyone hiding. But there was nothing. He raised the walkie-talkie to his lips. I'm afraid you're it, he said. Fuck! Stanton cried. Motherfucking fuck! Settle down! Dodson replied, keeping his voice level and calm. I had some men in the lobby before all this went down. Did you see them? Negative, came the shaky reply. Only thing we saw were those things. If it's any consolation, I didn't see any feeding, so they could still be out there. Dodson nodded. Good to know, he said. Now, are you secure? His comrade was silent for a few moments, presumably to take the time to calm himself down and check his surroundings. Yeah, we are, he finally replied. There are three of us in some small office just behind the front desk. Is the door secure? Dodson asked. Yeah, we got it locked and have a desk in front of it, Stanton explained. It took three of us to move that big bastard, so I don't think they'll be able to get through. Okay, that's good, Dodson said with a nod. Tell me what you can see. Not much, unfortunately. Stanton admitted. There's only a small window looking out to the front, and there are zombies everywhere. Dodson took a deep breath. How many are we talking? Fuck, man. Too many to count, came the frantic reply. A few dozen, at least. Dodson grimaced, and Cortez shook his head, pressing his palms to his temples. Okay, hang tight, Dodson said, taking a deep breath. I'll get back to you as soon as I know something. We ain't going anywhere, that's for damn sure, Stanton said. Dodson fiddled with the dial on the radio. So, what now? Cortez blurted, lowering his hands but clenching his fists at his sides. His companion shook his head as he dialed in a frequency. Going to call Valentine, he said. Who the hell is Valentine? Troy demanded, throwing up his hands. Dodson cocked his head. 
He's our second in command. He handles the operational side of things, Cortez added, taking a deep breath to steady himself. So that Atkinson can focus on the big picture stuff. Troy shook his head. Hope he knows what he's doing. Because if not, we're fucked. Cortez nodded in agreement. And for a moment, they weren't mercenary and civilian. Just two men stuck in the same deadly situation. Command, this is Dodson at the Northern Resort, he began. Do you copy? There was a moment, and then the line clicked open. We have you, Dodson. What's the situation? A voice asked. Catastrophic containment failure, Dodson replied. Need to speak to Valentine. Hold, please, dispatch said. Cortez clenched his jaw and raised an eyebrow. That's not a good sign if they're patching you right through, he said. They usually ask a few follow-up questions to see if it's worth his time. Guess we should take notes and add catastrophic to every report we file, Dodson said dryly. Might get more done that way. The radio chirped back to life, and then a no-nonsense voice came on. Dodson, report. The outside command center has been completely overrun, he replied, quick and to the point. Entire lobby is infested as well. Survivors? Valentine asked. Dodson took a breath. We have three in an office in the lobby, and six up on the third floor, he explained. Might have a few more in-house, but they're off come and no confirmation. Enemy numbers, came the reply. Dodson wrinkled his nose. Two to three dozen in the lobby, he replied, looking out the window. Maybe another fifteen or so in the front parking lot. There was a moment of silence, and then Valentine said, I need you to secure your position and stay put. I'll get back to you as soon as I have new information. The line went dead, and Dodson hooked the radio to his belt, crossing his arms and staring out the window. He seems friendly, Troy muttered. Dodson shook his head. Lot on his plate today, he explained. Doesn't have time to fuck around. Cortez headed for the double doors, leading to the conference room. I'm going to get the door secure, he called over his shoulder. You two, help. Charles and Troy didn't waste any time following. The dangerous situation called for banding together, at least at this moment. So, what now? Grace asked, sidling up next to Dodson. He took a deep breath. We do as Valentine says, he replied. We wait. Chapter 5 Twenty minutes later, the retirees had finished loading the corpses onto the luggage carts and shoved them over into the far corner away from everyone. They sat around a table by themselves near the window, nursing some lukewarm coffee from a dispenser. The rest of the group sat at a table near the doors, waiting not only for a response from Valentine, but also on guard, in case they had unwanted visitors attempting to get through the doors. Does it usually take this long to hear back in a life-or-death situation? Troy finally broke the silence. Or is he just shitty at his job? Cortez narrowed his eyes. He knows what he's doing, he snapped. This shit came out of nowhere, and he's managing a whole island response. What is going on, anyway? Charles piped up. You boys seem to be clued in. Why not share with the rest of the class? The two mercenaries shared a pointed look, and then Dodson shrugged, waving for Cortez to give him the go-ahead. Information isn't exactly flowing freely. 
But this is what we know, the latter began, leaning back in his seat. Last night, we got a call from one of our military contacts, saying that there was a shitstorm headed our way. Some virus was spreading out of Texas, and it was infecting people with A-type blood. Within 72 hours of being exposed, they fell ill and died, only to come back as those zombie-like things. Apparently, it's been spreading around the country for days, and nobody noticed until it was already too late. The man next to Charles, who they discovered was named Carl, raised his hand. And given what you guys are currently doing, he said, I think it's safe to assume this stuff is everywhere. Cortez nodded. The country is done for, he replied, and most of the world is probably in the same boat as well. Maybe some isolated countries like Australia might be able to catch most of the cases in time. Not that we'll ever know or care, really, he shrugged. So, Atkinson and the rest of the higher-ups decided to take matters into their own hands and secure a safe space. Well, safe for y'all, Charles scoffed. Cortez jutted out his chin. And for those who help us secure it, he replied, pointing a finger at the older man. I know it may seem harsh what we're doing, but it's necessary not just to rid the island of those things, but to also figure out who is going to contribute going forward. Oh, bullshit, Charles snapped. The bottom line is that you are more powerful than us, and you're doing what you're doing to save your own asses without a care in the world for us. Cortez bristled but Dodson raised a hand to calm him down. The rest of the table remained silent, letting the confirmation of the country being gone settle over them. Just a damn shame, Troy murmured. Carl cocked his head. What's that? Always thought the world was going to go out with a giant meteor, or nuclear holocaust, he admitted. Something with a clock on it so that we could have one hell of a final party. Kind of sucks to wake up and find out that everything is already over. Carl raised an eyebrow. I'm guessing these boys still have a key to some of the rooms, he suggested. You can always raid the minibar. And pay $23 for a shot of whiskey, Troy snorted. I'll pass. Dodson, do you copy? Valentine's voice came through the radio, and the mercenary quickly grabbed it, turning the volume all the way up. Copy, he said. After careful consideration, Valentine continued. It's been determined that the only viable course of action is to liquidate the asset. It's not strategic, and we can't afford to spend more resources to secure it. Dodson nodded, though his jaw set tight. Understood, he replied. Timeline? Drone liftoff is in twenty, Valentine replied. With a seven-minute flight time. He checked his watch. Understood, he said. We'll contact in thirty. The mercenaries shared a defeated look, and Dodson tossed the radio on the table with a clatter. Grace raised her arm and set a timer on her watch for twenty-seven minutes. "'Hey, drone, huh?' Carl asked brightly. "'They doing some recon to figure out how to get us out?' Dodson and Cortez stared at him with incredulous faces. "'What?' he demanded. Troy sighed. "'They're liquidating us, dipshit,' he snapped. That drone isn't to take pictures, it's to launch a missile at the building. His face went ghost white, and he squeaked for a moment before spitting out, What the hell? How? He shook his head, running his hands through his graying hair. Why? Because our forces are spread thin, Dodson replied tersely. 
and other teams must be encountering stiff resistance. Not worth the risk to life to save ours. Charles threw his hands up. How in the holy hell do you guys have access to a missile-launching drone? He demanded. We have a permanent residence on the marine base in Beaufort, Cortez replied. Charles crossed his arms. Still doesn't explain how you have access to a drone, Grace growled, leaning forward and resting her arm on the table. Doesn't matter how they have it, only that they do, she snapped. Now, we need to talk about how we're getting out of here. Troy took a deep breath as everyone turned to her. Assuming we can get down to the second floor, he began, there has to be a window we can get out of. With any luck, there won't be too many of those things on one side of the building. We're not going without our boys in the lobby, Dodson declared, shaking his head. Troy blinked at him. We don't have time to clear out a room that size. Dodson pulled out his handgun and slammed it on the table. You're going to help us get them, he warned. Well, you're not leaving this room. Troy glared at him, and then crossed his arms, letting out a frustrated grunt. One thing is for damn sure, Charles piped up. You aren't using me as a human shield. You try that shit, and I'll latch on and pull you down with me. Dodson nodded and shoved his gun back in the holster. Fair enough, he said. Still, Cortez said slowly, scratching the back of his head. There's no way we can clear out the lobby with two gunmen and four people with knives. Grace shrugged. Then give us guns. Oh, hell no, Cortez shook his head, waving his arms back and forth in front of his face. I don't even feel comfortable with you across the table with me. And all you have is a cleaver. No way in shit you should have a gun. Dodson shot her a sympathetic look. I'm afraid he's right, Grace. She leaned in, voice low and forceful. You've already been written off by your commanding officer, she said, left to die because your life isn't worth saving. You have to fight your way out and you only have, she checked her watch, twenty-five minutes to get out. Now, what do you think is a bigger risk? Giving me a handgun or trying to fight an army of those things with only Cortez by your side? Dodson sat back in his chair chewing his lip for a moment. Finally, he nodded, slowly, as if the thought was slowly seeping in. He drew the handgun and set it back on the table, sliding it over to her. He held up a finger. If you shoot me in the back, please have the decency to shoot me in the head, he declared. I'd rather not have to think about the colossal fuck-up that led to my demise. Deal, she replied, snatching up the gun and checking the chamber. Whoa, what the fuck are you doing? Cortez demanded. Dodson shot him a stern look. Giving us a better chance of walking out of here, he replied. Now, take your sidearm out and give it to one of them. His companion didn't move, simply scowling at him. Do it now, Dodson demanded. That's an order. Cortez stared at him in disbelief, before finally pulling his handgun from its holster and slamming it on the table. Before any of the others could react, Charles grabbed it, pulling it into his lap before the other two could take it. Is there another stairwell to the lobby? Grace asked. Because the one we came up in is way too close to the front desk. Dodson nodded, pulling out a sleek black tactical pen from his vest. 
He clicked it once and moved the plate in front of him, drawing directly on the cream tablecloth. He made a big square and then drew an X. Okay, this is the lobby, he said, and then tapped his finger on the X. And this is the front desk. I'm assuming the office door is right behind it. About twenty yards this way is the front door, and there's a secondary set of doors at the far end which are exit only. If we go out that way, there's a good chance there won't be too many of those things outside. He pursed his lips. At least, until they follow us out. She leaned over, watching as he drew. What about stairs? she asked. He thought for a moment, before drawing another X on the opposite side of the lobby across from the front desk on the far end of the room. I'm fairly confident that the stairs are in this corner, he said. With any luck, there won't be too many of those things near it, so we should be able to slip in undetected. What we do then, he shrugged, well, that's anybody's guess, because I have no idea what's around there for cover. One problem at a time, Grace said with a sigh, and stood up. Let's get down there. The others got up too, save for Charles, who raised his hand. Aren't you all forgetting something? he demanded. The mercenary shared a confused look and didn't respond. Charles growled and motioned to the retirees in the corner. What about them? he demanded. You have a gun now, Cortez said coldly. You can put them down if you want. Charles's eyes widened, his face growing red with rage. Are oh, you did? he stammered, and then slammed a hand down on the table. Are you serious right now? You saw them, Cortez replied flippantly. They can barely walk. There's no way they're going to be able to get out of that lobby, and we don't have the manpower to protect them. Hell, I'm going to be shocked if we get out of this. Charles growled, pointing a finger at the mercenary, but Grace reached out and put a hand on the older man's shoulder. You need to calm down, she said. Charles gaped at her. But... Let me speak, she said forcefully, but with a hint of compassion in her voice. I think we all understand that we can't protect them and make it out of here in one piece, which is why Dodson here is going to tell them in ten minutes they're free to go. We'll tell them about Troy's second-floor escape idea and wish them the best. Doesn't that sound good? She glanced at Dodson, giving him a pointed look that dared him to disagree with her. The mercenary nodded jerkily. Cortez, go tell them what's up, he said. His partner swept off and headed across the conference room to the retiree's table. Grace turned back to Charles. Are you good? He didn't answer right away, and she tapped her watch to remind him they were on a time limit. He clenched his jaw and shook his head, finally backing down. They know what's up, Cortez announced as he headed back over. Dodson nodded. Good. Let's get moving, he declared and led the group of six out of the conference room and down the hallway to the target stairwell door. The two mercenaries stood on either side of the door, and then Dodson nodded with a quick hand gesture, and Cortez burst inside. They each took a side, one aiming up and one aiming down. Clear up here, Cortez said, lowering his weapon. Dodson nodded. Same here, he said. Still, cover our six. The four civilians moved into the stairwell after him with Cortez bringing up the rear. They stopped at the ground floor. Dodson readied his rifle. I want everybody back up on the landing, he said quietly. What? Cortez asked, raising an eyebrow. 
If it doesn't look good, we may have to backtrack, Dodson explained. If it really doesn't look good, that might happen quickly. I want you to be ready at the second floor door, and I would rather not have to shove anybody out of the way to get there. Everyone moved up except for Grace, who stayed next to him. He didn't argue, knowing there was no time to defy the determination in her eyes. He readied himself by the door which would open in towards the lobby, gripping the release bar tightly. I'll take care of the door, he whispered. You just be ready with that gun. She nodded as she readied her gun, taking a step back. Dodson took a beat, holding his rifle in one hand and the release bar in the other. Finally, he pushed gently on the release, and it pinged loudly despite his best efforts. He opened it a couple of feet wide and poked his head out, but the noise had attracted several nearby zombies who rushed the door. Dodson jerked back on the release, wedging two ghouls in the door. He braced his foot against the doorframe, holding it as tight as he could to keep them from pushing inside. Grace didn't wait for instructions, carefully taking aim and firing at point-blank range into a few skulls. They slid down a little limp, but still held fast by the door. We got incoming, she cried, looking past the corpses to the lobby. Get that second-floor door open, Dodson bellowed up the stairs. Cortez didn't waste any time, immediately rushing up to the second-floor landing and opening the doors with the others in tow. He looked both ways down the hallway and then ducked back into the stairwell. We're clear, he called. Dodson turned to Grace. You a good shot? he asked. Better than most, she replied. Good enough for me, he said, and pointed up the stairs. Get up on that landing and be ready to cover me. I'm going to hug the railing. She nodded and sprinted up the stairs, taking up position on the landing. She aimed towards the doors, waiting for him to make his move. Once she was in position, he let go of the door and tore up the stairs, staying against the railing all the way up. Grace immediately started firing, sending half a dozen rounds towards the door. She hit one of the zombies in the head, dropping it, but the rest of the bullets found torsos, which didn't do much. The single kill caused some of them to stumble, buying Dodson enough time to get up to her. As soon as he rushed by, she followed him up to the second floor door, the ghouls in hot pursuit. Troy waited for them, and he immediately slammed it as soon as they flew into the hallway, cutting off the pursuing zombies. They stepped back from the door, breathing heavy, as the creatures smashed into it, smacking and moaning at their lost meal. You two okay? Troy asked. The two breathed heavily, bent over and gave him a thumbs up. After a moment, they finally caught their breaths and Dodson turned to Grace. Not bad for a civilian, he said, raising an eyebrow. She shrugged. Told you I was better than most. He cracked a smile as she motioned for them to go up and join the others, who were about ten yards down the hallway. Dodson approached Cortez, whose brows were furrowed in concern. What is it? he asked. There's noise up ahead, Cortez replied. Dodson raised his rifle. Well, let's go find out what it is then, he said, waving for everyone to start moving. The two mercenaries led the group up the hallway, the faint sounds of gnawing and moaning growing louder as they approached the center elevator lobby area. They came around the corner and spotted fifteen zombies stretching down the hallway to the left, past the elevators, most of which a good thirty yards down the hall. 
Several of them knelt down beside a badly mangled corpse that wore the same type of combat gear Dodson and Cortez wore, about five yards down the hall from the elevator lobby. Dodson quickly turned to the others and put his fingers to his lips to signify to be quiet. He then turned to his partner and motioned up the hallway straight ahead of them, using his fingers to signal stairs. They snuck across the opening, trying to stay unnoticed. But they had no such luck. One of the creatures gnawing on a mercenary corpse looked up and saw the group going across. It let out a groan, dropping a chewed hunk of flesh on the ground before sprinting towards them. Charles panicked, took quick aim, and fired, hitting it in the chest but not slowing it down at all. He fired again, hitting nothing but air. As it closed in, Cortez blew back around the corner and fired, hitting it in the forehead. The lifeless body slid across the marble floor. However, the immediate threat wasn't over, as the noise had attracted every zombie on the floor. They came running down the hallway leading to the other set of stairs, as well as the opposite hall of munching zombies. Dodson opened fire at the half-dozen rushing down the hall, pouring out of a room towards the end. They moved so quickly that he only managed to hit two of them. Back up! Back up! he bellowed. The bulk of the fifteen zombies on the other side of the lobby started rushing towards them and Troy leapt into action. He shoved through a couple to get to the luggage cart, flipping it over in front of the opening to create a slight barricade. Grace followed him into battle, shooting the first zombie he tossed aside in the head while grabbing the other by the shirt and holding it at bay as it flailed around. Carl rushed up, jamming his knife into its head. Cortez turned his attention towards the ten or so zombies that came down the opposite hallway firing several times into the crowd and dropping a few. The two mercenaries retreated to the elevator area, laying down suppressing fire towards the coming horde. They managed to drop half of the combined horde, but at the expense of their magazines. I'm out, Cortez barked. Dodson shook his head. Same! Rather than try and reload, which they didn't have time to do, they braced themselves for the coming horde. They used their guns as blocking tools, catching a couple of ghouls in the chest and using their bodies to hold the others off. Meanwhile, Troy did everything he could to shove creatures back as they tried to overcome the toppled luggage cart. But it was a losing battle. Grace stood beside him, popping off shots where she could, but with so much movement it was difficult for her to get a clean shot. When her gun clicked empty, she growled and broke from the line. I gotta reload! she cried. Charles took her place, as she headed for Dodson to get another mag. She spotted the mercenaries having trouble as well. Carl stood off to the side, frozen in fear, looking unsure of what to do. Grace looked past him at the elevators, and she grabbed his arm. Help me get these open, she barked. It took him a moment to snap back into the moment, but he finally joined her, and they jammed their blades into the seam, prying open the doors. She peeked through to see the empty shaft, relieved that it wasn't an elevator full of zombies. Dodson, let one through, she yelled, and he peeked over his shoulder at her. He nodded and then looked at Cortez, who was also struggling to hold the zombies at bay, using the ones hooked on their guns to keep the others back. Take a step to the right, he barked. Go! Both of them moved to the right, creating a narrow pathway past them. One of the ghouls at the back slithered by, and Grace jumped up and down. Over here! Over here! she screamed, flailing wildly to get its attention. 
The creature made a beeline for her, and she positioned herself right in front of the door, waiting on the ghoul to get close. As it approached, she swung her arms to the side, catching it in the torso and shoving it. The uncoordinated zombie tumbled, falling headfirst into the open elevator shaft. A moment later, a satisfying thud echoed up to them. Send another, she yelled. Dodson nodded. Move over, another step, he instructed. They took another, making the opening larger. Grace whistled, trying to get another one's attention. Finally, one locked onto her and broke away from the pack, rushing forward. Carl stepped forward. I got this one, he said. He readied himself by the door just like Grace had, repeating the same swinging motion that she did. He caught the zombie in the same spot, shoving it into the shaft. Unfortunately for Carl, the zombie managed to grab onto his wrist and yanked the flailing man down with it. Carl! Grace screamed, lunging forward and grasping at air. She watched helplessly as he disappeared down the shaft, screaming all the way down, cutting short as he hit the bottom. She swallowed hard, but shook herself from it. There was no time to mourn or try to see if he was okay. He was gone. Grace, get behind us, Dodson cried. She rushed over to the two of them, still struggling with the five remaining zombies. She stood between them, pushing on their backs to help steady them. Okay, we gotta shift them towards the shaft, Dodson instructed. Let's go your way, he said to Cortez, and his partner nodded. They took small steps in unison, moving to the right and twisting around to angle the creatures towards the elevators. It took a solid minute to get them properly lined up, but once they were, it was time to act. Push! Dodson yelled, and the trio shoved with everything they had, inching the creatures backwards. All five of them remained fully engaged and hungry, trying to get to their meal. The creatures were forceful but not very coordinated, so they finally managed to drive them to the edge. After the first zombie fell, the load was lighter, and it made it easier for the trio to keep pushing. Thirty seconds later, the last zombie finally fell, splattering to the bottom of the shaft. Dodson glanced down, pulling out a flashlight and shining it in. There was a mangled mass of bodies on the ground, with some still writhing about. Not quite dead, but too broken to be a threat. I'm out, Charles cried, his gunfire ceasing. Dodson pulled out a handgun magazine and handed it over to Grace. Why don't you go finish them off, he suggested. We'll cover you and make sure nothing sneaks up on us. She nodded and took it, reloading her gun and darting over to the luggage cart barricade. There were several bodies on the floor, unmoving, but Troy still worked at shoving several back as they tried to get over the barrier. Grace stepped up and took aim, firing at the ghouls as Troy knocked them down. With the numbers thinned, they were far easier to pick off. Charles watched as she killed the last ghouls, gripping his gun tightly with a nervous look on his face. He looked back at the two mercenaries, who had their backs to them, keeping a watch down the other hallway. Grace took out the last zombie with her last bullet, ending the threat. Okay, that's the last of them, she finally said, letting out a deep sigh of relief as Troy got to his feet. Okay, let's take them, Charles said quietly. What are you talking about? Troy asked. The older man gestured wildly to the mercenaries. Their backs are to us, and we have guns, he hissed. Let's finish them and get out of here. Before the other two could respond, he raised his gun and took aim. 
He quickly fired, having bluffed about his mag being empty. His aim was poor, hitting Dodson in the back with a shot. The impact on his vest sent him tumbling to the ground. Cortez immediately turned around and raised his rifle as Troy dove out of the way, wanting no part of the firefight. Grace dropped her empty gun and snatched the switchblade that Dodson had given her. She quickly popped it open and jammed it into the side of Charles's neck, causing him to fire his next shot into the wall. He dropped the gun and turned to her, eyes wide with confusion and betrayal, as he tried in vain to stop the bleeding from his throat. Within seconds, he was on the ground, twitching and gargling for air, and Grace immediately raised her hands, bloody knife still in her fist. Dodson grunted as he got to his feet, rage blazing in his eyes. Fucking hell, that hurts! He spat and turned around. Who the fuck did that? He stared at Grace, standing there with the bloody knife over Charles's body. He cocked his head. Cortez? His partner motioned to the dead man. That cowardly piece of shit shot you in the back, he snapped. Before he could shoot me, the girl took him out. Dodson's gaze softened, and he walked over to Grace, motioning for her to put her hands down. So, you like the knife, huh? he asked. That blade is no joke, she replied, lowering her arms. Just as advertised. He smirked and inclined his head to the stairwell. Come on, time's running out, let's move. They headed off towards the stairs, and Troy darted out of hiding, sidling up to Grace as she wiped the blood from her hand and stuck the knife in her pocket. What did you do that for? he hissed. We're not getting out of this building without these guys, she replied coldly. And even if we did, it's highly unlikely we would be able to get off the island. He took a deep breath, and then finally nodded. The situation was dire, and he knew she'd gone with the best option to keep them alive. She looked at her watch. Fourteen minutes, she said, and clapped him on the back. Come on, we gotta move. Chapter 6 The quartet stopped by the stairwell to plot their next move. It's going to be a bitch getting into the lobby from this side, Cortez said especially being this close to the front desk. Troy jerked a thumb over his shoulder. You're more than welcome to try the other route. Time? Dodson asked. Grace checked her watch. Thirteen and change, she replied. We may not have a choice but to go for the lobby, he said, taking a deep breath. Grace, ammo? he asked. Out, she replied. Dodson motioned to Cortez and he pulled out one more handgun mag, holding it out to her. Last one, so make it count, he said. Rifle ammo? Dodson asked. Cortez popped in a fresh mag on his rifle. Last one on this, too, he said. Same here, his companion replied, reloading his gun. So, as long as we don't miss, we should be okay. I'm sorry to say, Troy said tentatively, but we might have to leave your boys behind. Cortez stepped up to him, pointing a finger in his face. We... I'm not leaving them behind, he snarled. You understand me. Either we all go or none of us do. You understand me? Troy raised his palms and nodded, backing down. Good, Cortez snapped. Now, let's figure this shit out. Grace pointed to the ceiling. Somebody needs to go up, he said. The other three looked at her, eyebrows raised. 
You know we're trying to get out of the building, right? Troy drawled, sarcasm evident in his tone. Grace put a hand on her hip. And going up is the only way, she replied. Are the upper floors clear? Hallways should be, Donson replied with a shrug. The only reason this one wasn't was because those things followed up my men as they escaped the lobby. She nodded. Okay, so we sent one person up to the fifth floor, she explained. They get into the stairwell across the way, which is the one we need to take to breach the lobby safely. They cause a ruckus, get those things moving up and out of our way. That gives us a chance to get to the lobby without them knowing. And what about the runner? Troy asked, crossing his arms. What are they supposed to do? Grace whirled a hand around her head. Double back to the stairwell and get down to the lobby, she replied. We'll pull the zombies away from the front desk, giving them a chance to get the others out. Then we run like hell and hope we get far enough away before the drone strike. The mercenaries exchanged a look and then shrugged. Fuck it. Better plan than I got, Dodson admitted. Let's do it. Cortez nodded. I'll go high. No, you won't, Troy cut in. You got a gun, so they're going to need you on that side of the lobby. I might not be fast, but I'm fast enough. I'll get your boys out. Cortez nodded. Get moving. We're on the clock, Dodson said, and Troy took off like a shot. He ran to the stairwell, running up the stairs two at a time. When he reached the fifth floor, he paused before opening the door. Be empty. Be empty. Be empty, he prayed, and then pushed into the hallway. He checked both ways, relieved to see nothing there. He immediately raced down, pausing only at the elevator lobby to look both ways and make doubly sure he was alone. The only sounds were his footsteps and the occasional banging on some of the hotel's doors from dead inhabitants wanting out. When he reached the stairwell, he paused again, psyching himself up before opening the door. He peeked in and saw one ghoul on the landing with its back to him. It looked down the stairs at nothing in particular, seeming lost in space. Troy carefully pushed the door open as silently as he could, and then lunged forward, giving it a forceful two-handed shove in the back. The zombie flew through the air, landing headfirst on the stairs below. The snap of its neck echoed on the concrete. Come and get me, assholes! Troy bellowed. Almost immediately the sound was deafening. Moans and footsteps ricocheted off the walls as the zombies congregating on the second floor landing raced up the stairs. He let out a few more yells, hooting and hollering curses at them, watching through the centre gap at the flailing limbs ascending the stairs. When the first zombie reached the fourth floor landing, Troy ducked back into the safety of the hallway. He slammed the door shut, sealing them inside, and gave the door a couple of smacks for good measure. Okay, Grace, it's your show now, he muttered, and then tore back down the hallway to the other stairwell. Meanwhile, Dodson, Cortez, and Grace stood by the second-floor stairwell, listening to Troy yell from above. They stayed silent as they listened to the horde on the other side race up towards him, abandoning their post. After several seconds, Cortez started to reach for the door, but Dodson held out a hand to stop him. A few seconds later, another set of footsteps raced by the door on their way up. They waited a few more seconds to be sure, and then Dodson cracked the door, peering down to make sure there were no more coming up. With the coast seemingly clear, they inched into the stairwell, 
staying as quiet as possible. Dodson looked up, aiming and making sure that nothing was going to come back their way, while Cortez aimed down, leading them down towards the lobby. When they reached the bottom landing, the door was still open, resting on the couple of zombies that Grace had put down earlier. They moved to the door and Cortez opened it a little more, quietly, so they could see the entire lobby floor. There were still about fifteen to twenty ghouls spread out around the lobby proper, with the bulk of them over by the front desk. About seven of them were several yards apart, stretching from the desk to the nearby furniture that looked out towards the water through the windows. So, what are we doing? Cortez whispered. Guns are blazing. Dodson shook his head. Too risky, he replied quietly. We have to get inside and secure this door before we start shooting, or else we're going to be fighting on two fronts. Then, what the hell is the plan? his partner asked. Grace looked out, studying the lobby, and spotted the auto-playing piano close to the set of exit-only double doors. The piano, she murmured. What about it? Cortez asked. Dodson smiled. There's a button on the side to get it to play on its own, he whispered, catching her drift. If somebody can get to it, the noise will draw those things to it, giving us a chance to get out. And it shouldn't be loud enough to draw the zombies from upstairs back this way, she added. Cortez surveyed the area, the piano, and the exit doors. So, a hidden run out the doors, he mused quietly. I like it, but after one of us is outside, then what? Those pickup trucks are still in the parking lot, right? Grace asked. Dodson shrugged. Unless those things learned how to drive, he replied. I can get into the bed of it, she explained. Should provide enough cover until you get out there and clear them out. He raised an eyebrow. So, you're volunteering, huh? He asked. I'm a better shot than most, she replied with a shrug. But I'm pretty sure you guys are better than me. Plus, since I saved your life, I'm going to assume you'll pay me the same courtesy. He simply nodded at her, and she checked her watch. Seven minutes left. See you boys on the other side, she said, and gripped her handgun tightly before darting out of the stairwell. She sprinted across the marble floor and fell into a slide, skidding behind one of the sofas. She carefully peeked over the edge of it to get a lay of the land. There were a couple of zombies about ten yards away on the other side of the furniture, which had an almost complete line of coverage, all the way down to the piano. She crawled on the floor, staying low and silent, making her way to the piano. When she was halfway there, she stopped at a gap in the furniture, where a walkway cut through. She peeked out, and saw the closest zombie was only about five yards away, and turning towards her. She jerked back behind cover, staying out of sight. She chewed her lip as she tried to figure out what to do next. The piano was still about twenty yards away, and if she was spotted it would be a struggle to get there. She carefully pulled the slide back on her handgun, popping out a single bullet. Before gently putting it back in place, she peeked out again, relief flooding her that the zombie hadn't caught on to her. She reared back and tossed the bullet over the couch. It pinged a few times off of the marble floor, drawing the attention of the ghoul. As it rushed over to investigate the noise, she slipped across the gap before another could take its place. She stayed low and moved as quickly as she could. When she was ten yards away from the piano, there was an excited moan and footsteps raced towards her. Shit, 
she muttered, and sprung to her feet. She sprinted for the piano, several zombies in her periphery racing towards her. The closest was ten yards away, and on an intercepting course. Rather than fire her handgun and alert the ghouls in the stairwell, she readied herself for a shoulder strike. As the corpse approached, she adjusted her speed, slowing for a brief second to get into position to level the zombie. She timed it perfectly, hitting it in the side and sending it careening to the ground. It slid on the marble floor on its back, safely out of her path. Grace reached the piano and hit the play button as she flew by towards the doors. The instrument fired up, playing a jubilant tune that resonated happily throughout the lobby. The tinkling music was loud enough that every ghoul inside immediately turned its attention towards the source, tearing for it with their arms outstretched. Grace didn't waste any time admiring her handiwork of freeing up the area by the front desk, slamming into the exit-only doors, flinging them open, and tearing into the parking lot. There were still a dozen or so zombies in the lot, spread out all over the place, and the truck bed was a good thirty yards away. It was a few feet off of the ground, not exactly a full lift kit, but substantially higher than a run-of-the-mill vehicle. A few ghouls in her path turned and rushed her as she approached. With more hot on her tail, Grace knew there wasn't time to fight, only time to run. The first one that approached, she sidestepped it, deftly moving out of the way, its rotted hands grasping nothing but air. The next one closed in fast on her without much time for her to prepare. She lowered her shoulder and hoped for the best. Grace ploughed over the zombie like a running back taking out a defender, sending it to the ground. She staggered over it, stumbling as its flailing arm clipped her leg. She got a hand down on the hot asphalt to steady herself, barely staying on her feet. She pushed hard, leaping back up onto her feet, propelling herself forward with only one more zombie to go. It was a smaller creature, likely having been a teenager just a few short hours ago. She had the weight advantage, and she used it, lowering her shoulder and slamming into the centre of the ghoul's chest, sending it flying back. Grace reached the truck and leapt, putting her foot onto the bumper and diving headfirst into the bed. She landed with a thud, knocking a bit of her breath out, but forced herself to roll over, readying her handgun just in case any of the zombies managed to clamber up somehow. Within seconds, she was surrounded by corpses, arms flailing up over the sides of the truck bed. The top of the railing was chest high on an average-sized zombie, which thankfully made it difficult for them to reach inside. Grace inched herself to the center, putting as much distance from them as possible, laying flat on her back as she steadied her breath. Okay, Dodson, she muttered to herself. Don't fuck me over. Inside, the mercenaries watched as Grace hit the piano button and raced out the doors. Several zombies followed her, however the majority of them converged on the piano. We gotta stay quiet, Dodson murmured, and his partner nodded. They broke from cover in the stairwell door and moved across the lobby as lightly as they could. Dodson covered from the front, while Cortez kept tabs on the ghouls by the piano, in case they lost interest in the concert. As the duo approached the front desk, Troy came out of the other stairwell door. Dodson aimed at him, nearly firing, but when he realised who it was, he gave the man a thumbs up. The trio reunited and headed for the front desk office. As they stood outside of the door, they heard the telltale scrape of a desk against a floor. A moment later, the door opened, revealing three mercenaries. Dodson held a finger to his lips and then leaned in, 
speaking softly. We got a friendly in a truck bed outside, he said. Let's go get her. Her? Stanton asked, raising a skeptical brow. Dodson jutted out his chin. Yes, he said firmly. Now follow me. Stanton and his team fell into line with Dodson, leading the way across the lobby, silent and quick. They blew outside and spotted fifteen to twenty zombies around the truck. He motioned for the men to spread out and form a firing line. Dodson took aim at the back of a ghoul near the truck hitch. As soon as he fired, the rest of his team opened up as well. The five mercenaries made short work of the corpses, preventing them from even turning in their direction, let alone running towards them. Their fire attracted the attention of several ghouls inside, however, and Troy pointed wildly. Behind us! he cried. Cortez and Stanton turned, popping off a few shots and taking out the zombies tearing through the doors. They remained engaged, staring down their sights to make sure no others came out. As they stood guard, Dodson walked towards the truck. Grace, you good? he asked. She extended one of her arms up, giving them a thumbs up. She sat up, wiping some blood splatter from her face as she approached the railing. Hell of a job in there, Dodson commended as he reached the truck bed, offering her a smile. She shrugged. Just doing my part to live, she replied, hitting the safety on the gun and holding it out to him. Here, you're probably going to want this back. Don't want you getting in trouble for giving a volunteer a gun. He took it, nodding appreciation in his eyes. Grace's watch beeped, and she looked down, seeing the one-minute warning on her timer. One minute, she said flatly. Dodson's eyes widened, and he threw open the driver's side door of the truck. We've got one minute, he barked at the others. Everybody in! He jumped into the driver's seat, feeling to make sure the key was still in the ignition, which it was. The men broke away from the lobby and leapt up into the truck bed with Grace. Cortez was the last one in and smacked the side of the vehicle, prompting Dodson to punch the gas pedal. They sped off just as the roar of the drone echoed through the air. He drove several blocks away before skidding around a building for cover. Everybody down! Cortez screamed, and everyone ducked down against the floor of the truck bed, covering their heads. The missile whistled and then there was a deafening blast that rattled the vehicle, but thankfully didn't shatter the windows. The group stayed still for a moment and then slowly sat up, hair askew with looks of pale relief on their faces. Stanton reached over and clapped Cortez on the back. Really appreciate you coming and getting us, he huffed. Cortez shook his head and motioned to the two civilians. Don't thank me, he said. Thank them. Without their help, none of us would have made it out of there alive. Stanton and his team nodded at Grace and Troy. The latter rolled his eyes. I mean, if you really wanted to thank us, you could drop us off at the docks with the keys to a boat, he drawled. Also wouldn't turn down a six-pack. Cortez winced and offered a half-hearted smile. Troy simply shook his head. He knew that plan wasn't in the cards for them. Dodson got out of the driver's seat and strolled back to them. Everybody okay back here? Oh, just peachy, Troy said dryly. Grace leaned on the railing. So, now what? she asked. He pulled out his walkie-talkie, holding it up and wiggling it in the air. Let's find out, he said and dialed up the command center. This is Dodson. Do you copy? He asked. Yes, we copy, somebody replied. Please hold. A moment later, Valentine came on. 
Glad to hear you made it out, Dodson. Thank you, sir, Dodson replied stiffly. What's your situation? Valentine asked. Dodson looked up, glancing down to the street he'd turned off of. We're a few blocks south of the resort, he reported. Two of us are in desperate need of a resupply. Have three others ready to rejoin the fight. Good, Valentine replied. There is a hot zone three-quarters of a mile to the east. Have the ones ready for a fight, head that way. It's one of the schools, so they won't be able to miss it. As for your resupply, head to the airport in the northeast. We have a plane coming in. Load up, and then head to the school. Dodson nodded. Understood, sir, he said, and then took a deep breath. But there's one more thing. Yes, came the terse reply. Dodson rubbed his forehead. Sir, I have two civilians with us. There was a long pause, and then finally Valentine said, I'll be blunt. Our supplies are limited. Are they worth keeping? Dodson looked over at Grace and Troy, chewing his lip. Yes, sir, they are, he said firmly. I wouldn't be talking to you without their help. Very well, Valentine replied. Instead of going for a resupply, bring them down to Harbor Town. Dodson let out a sigh of relief. Yes, sir. The line went dead, and he put the radio away. He looked over to Stanton and his team as they clambered out of the truck bed. You boys okay on foot? he asked. Yeah, we could use the exercise after being holed up in that office, Stanton replied. Dodson nodded. Be safe. Those things are still roaming the streets, he instructed. That bomb going off will surely agitate them. Stanton gave him a thumbs up and glanced back at the two civilians. He gave them a nod as well, and then the trio took off, running down the road towards the school. Before Dodson could get back in the truck, a loud engine roared overhead. Everyone looked up at the big military transport plane flying low, headed to the airport just a couple of miles away. Mother of God, that's a big-ass plane, Troy breathed. Cortez nodded. Big enough to hold a hundred men and enough ammo to conquer, he paused. Well, a small island. Grace and Troy shared a look, wide-eyed at the fact that Theo Atkinson really wasn't messing around. Get comfortable, Dodson announced. It's a bit of a haul down to Harbortown. He smacked the side of the truck and got inside. Firing it up, they pulled out from behind the building and headed south. Chapter 7 On the southwestern tip of Hilton Head Island rested the community of Harbortown. The extremely high-end mixed-use burg stood alone as the premier destination on the island. While the resort to the north had been reserved for the wealthy, Harbortown was reserved for the super-wealthy. As they approached, Grace and Troy looked around at the several layers of roadblocks, stretching out from the road into the yards. Two heavy machine-gun nests were set up on the main road in, with a guard motioning to Dodson to pull over. When he did, the guard climbed down and walked up to the truck. Sir, this area is off limits, the guard said, a hint of regret in his tone. Dodson motioned to the back of the truck. Valentine ordered us to bring in these two civilians, he said firmly. The guard took a look at Grace and Troy, dirty and bloodied, and pulled out his radio, wandering away to speak out of earshot. The duo scanned the area, watching a couple dozen guards roaming about behind the barricades. Corpses littered the road and grass in front of the wall. Impressive setup, 
Troy said with a sigh. Especially given that this whole shit show just started ten hours ago. Cortez shrugged sheepishly. There's a reason the military spent billions hiring us out. Bet with that kind of bankroll you could afford a huge roster of talent, Troy replied. Oh, no doubt, Cortez agreed. Ten thousand strong, spread out around the globe. Highly trained and well-equipped. We might not have the firepower to conquer a nation, but by God we could put a hurtin' on anybody. The guard headed back over to the truck. Okay, sir, you're cleared to go to the command center, he said. Do you know where it is? Yes, I do, Dodson replied. The guard waved him through. Carry on, then. He motioned to the crew by the blockade, and they cleared a path for the truck to drive through. The activity within Harbortown was a hive, civilians moving about everywhere alongside dozens of heavily armed mercenaries. A group of soldiers piled up into a pickup truck and sped off. They're off to throw down, Troy said, shaking his head. After a few moments, they pulled up to the command centre. Dodson got out of the truck and waved for the trio to come down. Cortez, I'll take them inside, he said. You go see if you can get us a resupply. His partner nodded and turned to walk off, but then paused for a moment. You two did all right back there, he said, giving the civilians a nod. You keep it up. He sauntered off and Dodson motioned for the duo to follow him. They headed into the command centre, which was fairly sophisticated inside. The mercenaries had taken over a small restaurant with monitors set up around the outer edges of the room. In the centre stood Carter Valentine, a beast of a man that looked to be in his early forties. As they approached him, he glanced up from a folder of papers. "'You must be Dodson,' he said, in a terse, no-nonsense tone. "'Yes, sir,' came the reply. "'I have the civilians from the resort.' Valentine set down his folder and approached them, giving them a once-over. "'I'll be honest,' he said, crossing his arms. "'I have no doubt this man can hold his own, but I'm curious as to why you think this woman is capable.' Grace clenched her jaw, stifling the glare she wanted to shoot him for the sexist nature of his words. She didn't want to risk being executed without mercy. "'Sir, she's smart, a heck of a shot, and as cold-blooded as they come.' Dodson explained. She slid a man's throat and saved my life in the process. Valentine pursed his lips for a moment, staring her down. I'll take your word for it, he finally said. A short man with glasses came rushing over, holding a clipboard. Valentine turned to him. What is it? he asked. Sir, base commander wants to know what the orders are, the man replied quickly. The hundred reinforcements you requested just landed at the airport. Valentine checked his watch. Not much daylight left today, he mused. Have him fortify their position on base and make preparations to raid every local food source starting at first light. Tell him to prepare to take everything that will keep. He also requested guidance on civilian encounters, the man continued. His superior shrugged. If they look capable, bring them in, he said. If they don't, instruct them to shelter in place. And if they're hostile? The man asked. Respond in kind, Valentine said simply. Yes, sir, the man replied and hurried off, scribbling on his clipboard. Valentine turned back to the two civilians standing nervously in his space. Apologies for the interruption, he said tersely. 
Dodson here says you're capable, so I'm going to assign you to a special civilian task force that we've assembled here. I'm not going to bullshit you. Your life expectancy on this detail will most likely be measured in hours. However, if you listen to the specialists in charge, you just might live to see another day. Do you have any questions? Yeah, I got a question. A shrill voice echoed from the back of the room. A man emerged from behind a stack of boxes and crossed his arms. Why isn't this bitch dead yet? Grace rolled her eyes, recognizing him as one of the brutes from the bridge. Something you'd like to add, Mosley? Valentine drawled. Yeah, this trigger-happy bitch shot Zack in the face, Mosley snarled, pointing a finger at her. Isn't that right, sweetheart? She forced herself not to flinch away from him, despite his nasty breath. Care to explain yourself? Valentine asked, raising an eyebrow. Grace cocked her head. He shot my friend in the face, she drawled, keeping her voice level. Figured an eye for an eye was warranted. So, even though you were surrounded by heavily armed men, Valentine said, you still felt compelled to shoot, she shrugged. Didn't think about it like that, she admitted. Just reacted to the moment. Valentine smirked, staring at her with something akin to admiration. You're right, Dodson. This one is capable, he said. Quick acting and cold-blooded. I can use that. Well, hell, Mosley said, throwing up his arms. If you're going to use her, then you might as well go ahead and send her over to Beach Park. That place is a clusterfuck. Valentine shook his head. It's getting late, he said. But that will be their target at first light. What's this first light bullshit? Mosley bellowed, face growing red. Who gives a shit about these civvies? Send them in already. Valentine turned to him, gaze darkening. I don't recall asking for your opinion on this matter, he said, voice low. So unless you are volunteering to lead this operation, I suggest you shut the fuck up and walk away because I don't care about your personal vendettas. I care about securing this island. He raised his chin. So, what's it going to be? Mosley stared at him for a moment and then swallowed, clenching his fists and walking away in a huff. Dodson, I believe that is all I need from you, Valentine said, turning back to his subordinate. Please resupply and link up with a team. I have a feeling it's going to be a bumpy night out on the island. Yes, sir, Dodson replied, and headed to Grace and Troy, shaking each of their hands in turn. I know when you first met me you probably wanted to put a bullet in my head, he chuckled. Hell, you probably still do, he shook his head. Even so, I'm grateful for what you did today. They didn't respond, simply giving him a slight nod, and he headed off. Looks like you made quite the impression on him, Valentine declared. Troy shrugged. Bonds of combat, he said, waving a hand, or something like that. Valentine smirked and then leaned over to tap one of the working mercenaries on the shoulder. I'll be back in ten, he said, and then waved for the civilians to follow him. He led them out of the command center and into the heart of Harbour Town. The middle of the berg was an actual harbour, a series of docks with several vessels floating and bobbing on the water. 
I've spent a lot of time here during the last few months, he said as they walked, being the point man on the military base installation and all. A lot of the wealthy locals didn't take too kindly to a military grunt like myself invading their safe haven. But once word got around to who I worked for, he paused, tilting his head back and forth. Well, their attitudes changed a bit, Troy snorted. Given what's happened today, I'm guessing their attitudes changed quite a bit, he said. That they have, sir, Valentine replied. That they have. He led them onto a dock in front of a massive yacht, easily fifty yards long and three stories high. They walked up a large ramp to reach the deck, and he turned around, spreading his arms. This vessel is Molly's Recompense, named in honor of Theo Atkinson's late daughter, he said. Troy looked around the massive boat, taking in the luxury of it. What happened to her? he asked. Cancer, Valentine replied, shaking his head. Took her when she was seven. Atkinson was just an enlisted man at that point, and couldn't afford any of the experimental treatments that may have saved her life. Shortly after that, he was discharged and made it his mission in life to make sure he was never that helpless again. He turned towards the staircase. Ten years later, he delivered on that. He motioned for them to follow him into the hold. This way. The duo followed him down several flights of stairs, glancing down hallways at every floor. There were workers and mercenaries wandering about, busy as bees. When they reached the bottom, they found several jail cells. However, they'd been made to be very homey-looking, with full-sized beds, televisions, and a small kitchen area in each cell. Looks like Martha Stewart was housed here, Troy said dryly. Valentine patted the bars on the nearest cell. We can't have you roaming around freely, he said, with a hint of sympathy in his voice. However, I felt as though you needed a little comfort, especially given what you are tasked to do. A couple of the cells on the left housed some rough and tumble-looking men. One lounged on his bed reading a book, and another wore headphones plugged into his television. None of them even bothered to look up at the newcomers. Valentine punched a code into a keypad on the wall, and the two cells on the right opened up. Please, if you wouldn't mind, he said. Grace and Troy looked at each other, and then each picked a cell, walking inside. Dinner should be served within the hour, Valentine said as he punched another code to close the doors tight. It should be nice, as we have one of the island's best chefs on staff here. Troy raised an eyebrow. How long has that been the case? he asked dryly. Valentine checked his watch. No, about ten hours now, he said with a smirk. Troy shook his head, chuckling darkly. If you are hungry in the meantime, Valentine continued, there should be some snacks by the mini-fridge there. He motioned to the appliance in the corner. Troy headed over and opened it up, finding a six-pack of beer alongside water and soda. And beer too, he declared, picking up a bottle and checking the label. Good stuff, too. I think you'll find that the QXR group takes care of those who can contribute to its goals, Valentine said, and then turned to the stairwell. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to get back to the command center. 
He didn't wait for a response, simply headed up the stairs. Troy popped open his beer and downed half of it in a single gulp before plonking himself down on his bed. It stood against the bars, separating him from Grace's bed. She simply sat on hers, staring off into space. You okay? he asked gently. She swallowed hard and then blinked a few times before nodding. Yeah, I'm fine, she said, her voice cold and level. He sighed, throwing up his free hand. Okay, what the fuck is going on with you? he demanded. What do you mean? she asked, her face betraying no emotion. I mean this morning. When we're at the store, you're acting almost like a helpless little puppy following Dante around, he drawled, shaking his head. Then two seconds after he hits the water, you turn into Sarah fucking Connor. What gives? Grace lowered her gaze to the floor. Not sure you'd understand, she said quietly. Well, hell, he said, taking a swig of beer. It's not like we have a whole lot else to do. Try me. She sighed. Okay. She fiddled with a loose thread on her pants, still not looking at him. Do you have any idea what my brother gave up for me? Yeah, his face, Troy replied, waving his hand around his own face. She shook her head. No. He gave up a normal life for me, she said, chewing her lip. Do you think it's easy walking around like that? I can tell you that just based on people's reactions that I've seen. It's not. Yet my brother carries himself with dignity every single day, even though it's not easy. She swallowed hard. He doesn't complain even though I know it pains him that he can't have a normal life. And he's like that because of me. Because I wasn't strong enough to take care of myself. It's not your fault, he said gently, wrapping both of his hands around the bottle. You were young. Grace sighed. I appreciate it, but it's really easy to say that when it's not you, she explained. But ever since the fire, I've dedicated myself to learning how to take care of me learning to shoot, learning to fight, staying fit. Partially because I want Dante to be proud of me, but also because of guilt. She clenched her fists. Guilt because I wasn't strong enough to get out of the fire myself, and it cost him everything as a result. She looked up at the ceiling, blinking back tears. And you know what he's done since the fire? Taking care of me. So when a situation comes up where he can take charge, I let him. Because unless I have a damn good reason to take that away from him, I'm not going to do it. Troy took a thoughtful swig of beer, and then slowly nodded. Well, I can tell you this with certainty, he finally drawled. You definitely know how to take care of yourself. So on that point, you've done your brother proud. She nodded, and then got up, opening up her own fridge and pulling out a cold beer. She cracked it open and sat sideways on the bed, holding the bottle through the bars. Here's to living through the first day of the apocalypse, she said. He smiled and clinked his bottle against hers, and they took a sip, finishing their brews in silence, quiet contemplation with the anxiety over what the next day would bring. The End Up next, Dante, Ace and Lily risk everything when they embark on a rescue mission in neighbouring Beaufort in Low Country, Part 3. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.